won't have me on the radio. You won't have me on the radio. You won't find me at the new location. You won't hear me on the sister station. Won't hear me even if you request a call. Won't hear me on the radio, not at all. You won't see me on the TV. You won't see me on the TV. I can't wake for the early morning talk show. Well, the only thing that's left I fear is to write this song that no one hears. I can't say that it's a parting shot, 'cause I don't think I could, even if I wanted to stop. No, you can't buy my brand new CD. No, you can't buy my brand new CD. I can't afford to record all the new songs and to put 'em on the Spotify. Feels wrong. Everybody wants music for free, so you ain't gonna buy my brand new CD. You won't hear me on the radio. You won't hear me on the radio. Cares about a washed-up folk singer, even if he's a Paul Simon Deringer. Now you can play with your top ten toys, but you ain't gonna hear me on the radio. Not this boy. You can play with your top ten toys, but you ain't gonna hear me on the radio. Not this boy. Not this boy. Not this boy. That's Jory Nash with Sister Station live at Folk Music Ontario for Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. Jory Nash is our special guest in the studio. Now that song, Jory, comes from the new album Wilderness Years. Now I know that you uh, do a lot of, uh, you spend a lot of time in the outdoors working with kids uh, as an instructor. I get that side of uh, Wilderness Years. When I listen to that song and I hear the line about Uh, your songs not being played on the radio. It makes me wonder whether, a little tongue-in-cheek there, but whether you're feeling it's getting harder as a uh, as a performer to to get noticed, particularly, uh, you know, with the fact that you've been very successful in the past. You've got New Blue Day, uh, Many Hats of Jory Nash. All of your albums have done very well. You've picked up awards for them. Uh, whether you're feeling it's getting harder as a performer to get noticed uh, with all of the other performers out there. Also, trying to you know get their moment in the sun in a music industry that's changing quite dramatically yeah you 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 touched on a lot of the things that um we're facing and certainly the song that you referenced sister station was an attempt to talk about the difficulties that i personally am finding compared to previous years in this business and to do it in a way that was honest but also wasn't so negative that it might be off-putting and so humor it's not something that i write often i don't use humor overtly in songs like say a john prine i may use a little bit of irony and i sort of ironic twists of of that make you smile a bit but outright humor is not something i do with this one i was kind of going for that so let's take a subject that is 
really affecting me and artists like me and that is the changing business the making it way more difficult not as much radio play the way people consume music all these things and do it so that you at least don't feel like you're getting lectured to and that was the goal with that particular song but as you touched on yeah the the, the business is changing you know i came up at a time when you could make a cd you're an independent artist and people felt really special to you can buy a CD directly from an artist. That's cool. Now people, you know, the way they consume music is totally different. And whereas CD sales and product sales were a big part of my income as recently as like five or six years ago, it's a fraction of that now. What I find is is that more and more artists, the only way to make the, a living is through playing live all the time. So we're all chasing after the same few number of gigs. And with my life where it's at, it's harder for me to go on the road for, for as long as I do. You know, I, I have a kid now. I can't disappear for three, four weeks at a time and, and be on the road and on all that. It's, it, it's impossible on my partner, and it's certainly not something I would want a child to be without, you know, their parents for that kind of length of time. It, it presents me with more difficulties than I've ever faced. And then you add things like, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and so there is always going to be some for some people fatigue it's like oh we've heard him we've seen him play you know let's f find somebody new and that is something i think that in all aspects of entertainment y youth has a premium i don't feel old i don't feel that my writing is repeating itself I actually really was conscious about recording a record that had a lot of different sounds and writing styles and things i've never done before but what i am finding is sometimes uh, a resistance to the idea that artists can grow and change and do things differently. And so some of the doors that have been closed to me remain closed. And some of the doors that I have been through, the pathway back isn't there. And finding new audiences to sustain the whole career is where my greatest challenge is. So it's a bit of a transitional album. You mentioned family you know, your son, he prominently discussed in, in the album itself. And then we also have this metaphorical wilderness in there as well. Would it be that, you know, the, the music industry of today feels so completely different from the one you came into? Because uh, is it, seven, I think, seven or eight albums you This was released? album number nine. Album number nine. Number yeah. nine. Yeah. Number nine. So does that mean you feel like an elder statesman when you come to a conference like this? I'm told I am. Yeah. You know, at this conference tomorrow, I'm, 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 I'm an industry insider mentor. I'm doing this lightning talk thing where people can sign up and ask me questions about the industry. And it's funny because I do have a lot of, you know, insight and advice and things like royalties, how to maximize your royalties and that sort of thing. But I also find in some ways with regards to how people are presenting themselves and uh, newer kind of promotional materials and videos and YouTube and things that have not been a part of what I've done in the past. I need to learn from from younger artists in a way that uh, uh, is almost reversed. So in some ways, Elder has benefits and, and in other ways, you're behind the curve. Maybe it's a big circle and we're all just in different parts on that Well, you that know, it's circle. interesting you say that because I've noticed that more and more people will say to me, well, you know, this is my latest single, or, you know, I'm releasing three singles, and then maybe an album will come next year. And it, it seems to become more of a trend. I mean, the, the people really are moving away from the idea of, you know, 
the album is the thing. It's yeah. now the singles are the thing, and then maybe an album will come. Well, two thoughts on that. Number one, yes, I agree. I think that is the way, and for several reasons. Number one, cost. The cost of making a record is still pretty high, even with home recording equipment, which I'm not a fan of in many cases because sonic quality, as you know, can vary differently from uh, really well-recorded studios to sort of even decent home studios. But still, the cost is there. Cost of manufacturing, cost of art, cost of mailing, cost of all these things. And if they're not selling, what's the point in doing a full recording? So there's that. And then there's the, uh, the, the, the simple fact that the CD is difficult to play. Computers don't have them anymore. Increasingly, new cars are not coming out with CDs. And once, cars, once all cars don't have CD players, and once all computers have no CD drive, the CD as a median will be pretty close to done. And so the single then makes sense because it's less cost. Um, that's all that people are, people are listening to songs now in all sorts of playlists. You know, if they're listening, listening digitally, many people don't even think about music in terms of albums. They think about it in a constant stream of a playlist and how it fits in. I'm in a mood to hear this type of song today. So that's where singles make sense. And lastly, the second point is, back to the circle, this is exactly sort of how the music business was in the 50s. Exactly. It yeah. was all about the single. The, rec the, the, the long record was something that really not a lot of artists did. Um, people rec record industries released singles with a flip side and that's how they were marketed to radio and it wasn't until in popular music artists like Frank Sinatra would do long records the Beatles where the the album as we've come to know it became the de facto way that people presented music but for many years it was the single and it wasn't even it was just a new song that you had does that make you feel sad as an artist who thinks about presenting his songs in 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 a long form format yes because when i structure a record i i mean i obsess about the order of records i obsess about how things flow you know the song the songs in this tempo going into one in from four four into three four this one's in this key and i want to make sure that the next key's in a different next song's in a different key this is a strummer this is a finger picker this is a piano song this is a full band song. i think about that how best to flow like a concert which is interesting right. because you're one of those artists that I always know when your album comes out, the packaging is really important. The studio that you record is really important. The people that you work with is really record is really important. But it seems that a lot of those things, you know, are, are changing. And yes, it, it and certainly feels like, you know, as not necessarily in the wilderness, but, you know, maybe all I see in this new that's world. That's all part of it. You're right. That does tie into the title. And yes... All those things you mentioned are, are important to me, but you also have to accept, you have to, you have to understand that just because that's the way you think things are best or, sh or you like them to be, it doesn't mean that the way they are. I don't like streaming. I don't like the way it rewards, it pays artists, it pays us, you know, fractions of pennies. I don't like that sound. I think in many cases the, the sounds of MP3s are terrible. Luckily, there are better forms of digital files, wave files, etc. But, you know, there's a sonic uh, issues that I have. But if that's the way that the majority of people want to access music, who am I to sort of tilt at the windmills? You know, it's doesn't it. It's like the, you know, old man shaking his fist at the sun. It's like, well, the sun's going to be there whether you want it to or not. So you can adapt and change. You can do what you want and have to accept that you're going to have a fraction of your audience or you can find a balance in there that 
may be able to cater to everybody. Do you think that you are finding the balance with this album? And one of the things that struck me was, you know, you're still making that effort to to create this piece of art. I wanted to try and steer the conversation back to, to talking about the actual production of the album, the people you work with, because you always work with great people. And, you know, I know that you have been recognized for the quality of the production that you consistently achieve with the albums that you've produced. Thank you. Uh, it's, it is but, important to me. Yeah, you but, know, but you know. let's talk a little bit about that, because sure. I think it, it's easy to, you know, you know, to do that tilting at windmills thing and say, well, you know, I'm going to keep doing that because this is what I'm doing, even though everybody's doing something else. But at the same time, it is a work of art that yeah. we're talking about. We're not just talking about, you know, just something that will bring a few dollars in. An omnibus thank you to all the really kind things you just said about the way I make records and the sounds. And it is something that I'm absolutely conscious of. Um, and I take it, I take great... Um, pride in how records sound and I take great care to remind myself that if I'm taking asking somebody to give me their money their hard-earned money that they need to be rewarded with something that sounds great looks great and has the best that I could do that being said I went into this record fully conscious that this might be the last thing I ever do it may not but it may I'm seriously considering getting out of music and looking into other things. I'm contemplating scaling back and maybe doing a balance. But the possibility exists that the financial wherewithal isn't there anymore to spend $30,000 on a record that sells 200 copies. It's interesting. So it's yet the numbers. I'm a, I, I, it's weird. I'm an artist, but I'm also a numbers guy. I actually have, like, I should, I, I should have been an actuary because numbers make a lot of sense to me. And the numbers that I'm seeing and have seen in terms of what it costs to make the kind of records I make and pay the artists a, a living fair wage and be in studios that cost a certain amount of money to get the sounds I want, I'm just not selling the numbers to even come within you know shouting distance of making the money back. And I've done crowdfunding campaigns to help with you know offset that but even so i mean it, i did a crowdfunding campaign for this particular record because i simply was unsuccessful in every grant application i applied for it just didn't happen and because again there's more artists happening and more outreach to communities that have been underserviced the number of people applying for grants is only going to go up and with our current government here in ontario likely the amount of money is only going to go down so to think that you know i'm going to be successful at getting grants is kind of it's you know i'm just one of many and if it happens it happens that being said so i didn't have any money so i did another crowdfunding campaign and it raised half the money which i was grateful for but half the money came out of my pocket i'll never make that money back it just won't happen anymore the way with the way cd sales go so i have to say all right i got all these things i want to do so i said if this is going to be the last record do everything that you want like throw the kind of arrangements that you've never done before hire a string arranger to, to, to do something that, you know, oh, I'll, I'll cut corner. I didn't cut any financial corners on this one. This was the most expensive record I've ever made because I, I wanted it to be something that say, this is the best I have. The songs, the arrangements, the players. I spent so much time working on these songs and the arrangements and finding the right players. Probably spent an extra week of recording. So every day is more dollars, etc. Every musician you hire is more dollars. But I wanted it to be something that if I don't make anything else, I can look back and say, listen to this. That's the best I, I had. 
I can be proud of this. Every other record I've made, and even the ones that were had awards, there were always moments on them or songs where I'm like, I know I cut a corner there. It may be that people love the corner I cut, but it wasn't. Ex there always were things where I'm like, yeah, I wanted it to be this way, and I just ran out of money or time or just did, couldn't. I didn't do that with this one. You know, this is incredibly honest, and it's funny because when I was preparing for the interview, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to ask Jory, is this going to be the last Jory Nash album? But you've said, I mean, you want to make sure that this is the best. That said, let's talk about some of the people that are on this. Sure. Because I think... They, I, I, they're, they all, they're, they're, yes, let's the, do the, the other side I hate about streaming is that, unfortunately, we're now in this world that typically you would say, oh, this is a Jory Nash song. It's called Sister Station. And that's maybe the only information that we get. Mm -hmm. We don't know who else joined you in the studio. We don't know who produced it. We don't even know, you know, where it was recorded. Now, I mean, that may become, you know, just nerdy mm -hmm. today. That's very true. But I know 20 or 30 years time, if we look back at all the great records from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, we all wanted to know, you know, where they were recorded, who recorded them, who was well, in the studio. So, yeah. And you got people like the, you know, the Wrecking yeah. Crew and everybody else. But the Wrecking Crew, you wouldn't get their names on the record. No, exactly. So exactly. Well, there was a time where they were You back. had to find out that information. Yeah. 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 So and tell I, us about these people. So the, it is, it's not a, it's a full band record. I basically did the record in two parts. A more The more acoustic side in November of 2017, and then the more full band stuff in March of 2018. Simply scheduling because there were so many people involved uh studio time and getting the people i wanted I, I needed to wait to get the people i wanted and in the studio so the fuller band tracks feature a band with gary craig on drums who is an amazing player and i actually have never recorded with gary i've done a lot of playing with gary but he was the right percussionist for the songs and that's i've really spent a lot of time i've spent i've worked with tons of great musicians some of them this was not the record for you know, I hope that my friends out there who I didn't hire for this one understand that. It, nothing to do with, with um, uh, musical ability or whatever. It's just I really think about who's the right person for this particular song. So Gary's on drums. A new bass player by the name of Devin Henderson. I was looking for a, a, a different kind of sound from the bass players I use. A, a little bit more of a, just simplistic in a um, deceptive way. And he, he's a, a, a really unique player that way he, and, and very intuitive player. So I'd never worked with him before, but he came recommended and I kind of road tested him a bit and he was great. A couple of guitar players, my longtime guitar player friend, Jason Fowler is on many of the songs and another guitar player by the name of Dean Druyard, who plays with, you know, um, yeah, Jill Barber and Royal Wood and, and as a producer of his own right. But what he, what he does is he's an acoustic player in addition, but I hired him more for his electrical side and his ambient sounds. And so there are certain, sonic textures that he brought that I've never used on a record before. The organ player with a little bit of piano was a fellow named Robbie Grunwald, who I've used previously, but less, it was more of an organs and farfisas and a lot of old kind of sounds in, in, in keyboards and synthesizers and organ sounds. He was the guy that I went with there. Um, so that was the, the, the band. And then there were a lot of people that I brought in, people like Kevin Fox, who I've used before uh, but then drew jureka i wanted a really good string arranger for one of the songs so we hired drew i needed a saxophone it was one tune that i wanted it to sound i don't know like apex of the 1970s and and the, the solo instrument in the late 70s was the saxophone and so the tune called for it and i spent 
actually I've had the tune for about four years. It's the oldest tune on the record. I've held on to it, A, because it didn't fit in other records, but B, because I've been searching for the right saxophone player. And I was at a, I did a show last last summer, and the band after me, the sax player, I was out walking, I went to get food, and I heard the saxophone over the sound check, and I was like, that's that's it. And I went and figured out who it was, and it turns out I'd known this fellow. Uh, Gene Hardy is his name. I've known him years before. And uh, he used to be in the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir and and uh, well-known and much, much... A respected saxophone player. Uh, you get Burt Carroll is playing on on. So you really had everybody. Well, that I'd had a lot of people, but then you get into the vocalists. Yeah. And what as you, as someone who listened to the record, there are a couple of songs that have this Dusty Springfield and Memphis kind of female background singer vibe, which is what I I wanted. I wanted it, this this almost like the Allman Brothers meets Dusty Springfield was what the vibe I was going for for the a couple of the tunes. And I actually didn't know the two singers. I just kept saying to a whole bunch of people, this is what I'm looking for. Do you have any suggestions? And finally, actually, Robbie Grunwald suggested these two women who I didn't know, hadn't heard of, but they were perfect. And that's uh, their names are Chloe Watkinson and uh, Lydia Persoe, I think is how she pronounced it. So they're just amazing kind of soulful singers. That They were not doo-wop, but... Almost oh, like fantastic what, singers, just really yeah. great singers, yeah. and then my and then my dear friend Lori Cullen uh, sings on one song where she is the beautiful arranger for that. She arranged when I hired Lori, I asked her to arrange her own vocals because she is so good at hearing multiple parts and counter melodies and harmonies and that sort of thing. And uh, Kate Rogers is another singer that uh, really prominent on on one of the more poppy tracks of the record. There's probably a few other players that uh, oh Jerome Godbu. Harmonica. I wanted a, a there's a harmonica part on one song, and Jerome's an old friend, and haven't recorded with him since I don't know, probably 20 years ago. Wow! But he was the right guy for that song. It was great. You know, it's interesting because you know we have this conversation, and it's like, oh, we we probably do need to jump in our time machine and go back to the 70s, you know, and you get to enjoy all of this stuff. Somebody, somebody, a friend of mine said to me, he said, you know, you when the record came out, who's a sort of a, he writes does music for TV, he says, you know you'd have been a, a million seller in 1976. And and that's a compliment. I get it. And it also, I've, 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 I sometimes, there's a Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson's famous autobiography was called, I just wasn't made for these times. And I do sometimes feel that way, that how I approach everything about my career and how I approach making records is a little bit old school. And such the point that is almost not relevant. There's truth to that, which is something that I have to accept. But I also do take it as a compliment. Which, you know, comes across. I mean, anyone listening to this interview will realize that, you know, you are somebody who, you know, you mentioned the actuary aspect of the way you, you look at what you do. But it's very clear. You know, these are all the puzzle pieces yeah. uh, that you want to bring together. Yeah. Well, you've got your guitar with you. What I would like to do now is to maybe play another track from the album yeah. uh why don't we play why don't i do the, uh, the cover the the title track you yeah know, it's called wilderness the record's called the wilderness years but there's a song called wilderness which is the closest thing to a title track i was going to call it the record wilderness but it didn't quite encapsulate what i was going for so i wrote the tune thinking it was going to be the, the the final title track but and, and this is a tune that you know just talk a little bit about it because it, it you know you could look at this tune 
from the point of view of the lyric in several different ways, can't you? You can. Well, you can for a lot of my songs, but in fact, you, there are two ideas behind it. One is, again, facing the idea that this is, this is what I love to do. I love to write and perform and sing and record. And I'm faced with this reality that doing all those things, despite the fact that I'm pretty good at it, despite the fact that I love it, the reality is, is it's not earning a living that is paying the bills anymore. And I've spent three or four years trying to figure out, trying to do things in ways that maybe are more modern, at least in a business sense, and they haven't worked out. And that's the reality. So, so there's that. But I also never want to be the kind of person who's like, hey, remember when, or the old days are the best days. That if I'm not, if there's not elements of my life that are forward looking, that's sad to me. And so that is in the song as well. And then there's also a couple of small nods to myself as a child and my child. So I sing about the boy. And that's a dual reference to me as a younger, fresh-faced me in this business and my own son. You know, what we lose, again, when we were talking about the streaming of music, we lose a lot of this. I mean, this to me is the, the color. This is the reason that I love a CD from you or one that comes from, you know, perhaps somebody like Borealis Records, where the whole package is, is important not just the oral form that you could listen to and then forget and move on to something else. This is Jory Nash with Wilderness, live for Folk Roots Radio at the Folk Music Ontario Conference. In the long afternoon In the tiniest room Alone with the phone that just keeps ringing I'm talking to myself For the songs on the shelf But you know I wish that I was singing I remember the day I gave it away The secret swore that I was willing To never ever tell But when you break that spell You have to pretend you're not a villain Sometimes I disappear into myself Just a little boy who needs protecting and I know that the fear hidden in my heart will carry me now. Outside my window I see wilderness And the evening sun it is descending And the air is still For the wind has changed Though I feel it somehow But try as I might 
Something's not right A word, a note that must be missing So I think about the boy But all the things I enjoy Come dangerously close to reminiscing So I think about the boy But all the things I enjoy Come dangerously close to reminiscing I'm dangerously close to reminiscing That's Jory Nash with Wilderness. It's the nearly title track from his great new album entitled Wilderness Years. We're at the Folk Music Ontario Conference. I'm Jan Hall for Folk Roots Radio. Jory's with us. We're having a great conversation. Fantastic. We have to try and keep it up because... I, what I love is the, con- the, the conference might be over. We've been, it's been, I've been so engrossed. I think it's when do we start talking? Friday, and I think it's uh, <laughs> Saturday afternoon. It's been well, awesome. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is, is the there's so much to to touch base on here. Is you know the fact that you know making the, this record, and and you know, Amy, you, you talk about how your son has changed your life. You know that you your responsibilities have changed. But also when we look at this record and, you know, there is bringing a record into the world also has that same feel. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. I I certainly, I spent so much time thinking about this record and how to present what it was I was feeling in a way that I thought was honest, but also wasn't a downer. And you get very excited. I was very, I'm very excited about this record, but the reality, the very simple reality, I get, I don't want to sound like a broken record. You know, the record came out in June, and I think I have like seven shows to present it. It's the fewest number of shows I've ever been, you know, been able to put together for a CD release tour. That's in like six months of playing. That just, I don't know what to do differently to try to get work but it's not happening in the way that it used to happen for all the reasons we've talked about so I definitely there's a bittersweetness because I have this record that I'm proud of that I want people to hear but I also have to acknowledge you know not a lot of people are probably going to get to hear it because I'm just nowadays you got to play to be to to be heard and you know the CBC which is a long been supporter of what I do the daytime shows aren't playing it like the way they used to play. They had some of the nighttime shows and some of the, the 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 individual producers are, but it's just not it's just not getting the kind of response that I'd hoped it would. And again, it's I don't there's not a bitterness. It's not it's just a simple reality. It's like all right, things are changing in ways that maybe just may not include what I do, and so I have to accept it. But it certainly is head scratching for me, and and certainly not. Not something that I ex- would have wanted when I was making the record. I want as many people to hear it, and certainly getting to talk to you. It maybe you know if there's a couple of people out there who hear this and it's like, yeah, I get it. I'm glad I heard this. Well, let's talk about some of those shows because I know that you will be one of the places that you're heading is one of my favorite places in Guelph. Mine that's, too. That's Silence. You've got some other shows, so let's talk about some of the shows you have uh, coming up in the next few months. Uh, there aren't that many. September was decent. I've just finished up a, a round of shows. I'm doing a show opening for Irish uh, Mythen in Peterborough at the theater there in November. But I'm now looking at, you know, January, February, March, 
looking to hopefully get next year's concert series. It just didn't happen. You know, and I think the silence show is what Saturday, November the 17th, Saturday, November 17th. And, and my philosophy is just play to when you get a chance to play now, be grateful. If whoever shows up, play to them. Don't worry about who's not in the room. Don't worry about the gigs you didn't get. Be grateful for the ones, the few ones you do have, and be thankful for the people who have taken the time to come out and see you play. You know, I've talked to my partner a lot about it, and we've kind of arrived at the fact that, yeah, 2019 is probably going to be it. If I am able to secure a grant to make one last kind of stripped-down, solo, very acoustic record, I'll do it. If not, I'll just I'll be thankful for what I've had, but... Yeah, that's so. I'm kind of looking at 2019 now as the last year to kind of really push this. So I'll probably be approaching a lot of places at this conference and in the next couple of months saying, you know what, if you're interested in booking me one last time, or at least for the last time in the next five years or so, 2019 is the chance. That's you know, I, I am wondering if you should do the Tina Turner thing. And then and insure, and insure, your... insure my legs for a million dollars? I already have, Jan. I already have. I was thinking of the other Tina Turner <laughs> thing and then maybe just have like a, a retirement tour every year or so just to keep everybody there's something, on the toes. There's something distasteful about that to me. Like, the yeah. you know, the who. You know, how many times did they say goodbye? I've toyed with the idea of making like a big announcement saying, I miss it, I'm out, I'm just... Rah, rah, rah. But it's, it's got to be done in a way that is not... Um, I don't know, angry or blame-filled. It's a tough business. It's a tough business for anybody at any time. Where I'm at in my life makes it even more hard to do all the things that that I once was able to do. And so maybe taking a sabbatical and letting... I mean, John Lennon, I remember John Lennon, he, he, didn't, do a, he didn't do anything for the first five years that uh, Sean Lennon was... Porn. And he did that I mean, by choice. Just by choice, he did that. I think you know. So, uh, oh, Susanna, Sue's younger leader, is a friend of mine. She said, you know, when I, we talk a lot, I talk a lot about with, with fellow artists because you know I'm not the only person in this situation questioning the w- the way through this very, very sort of um, cornfield kind of career that we are in. And she said, you know, I have you know, she's a son, Sal. I think Sal's twelve now. She said, I didn't. I didn't make a record until Sal was six. And that resonated with me. I was like, yeah, you know, the fact that I even was able to put a record out this year with a, you know, a baby in tow is in, in many ways an accomplishment. Yeah, maybe just taking a sabbatical and just saying, you know what, I'm not going to be around for five years. So if you, that might be a, a more tasteful way than saying, sayonara, I'm out. You know, that, that, so I'm trying to wrap my head around a, a way to let people know that if you are interested, you know, here's your chance, but not to lay blame and not to do it in a way that is um, bitter. Well, I, I that's sense. what I don't. I don't think because it's no. There's no. There's nobody. Nobody. There's nobody bitter at. It's just. A, it is the reality of my world. And if I want to be able to put food on the table, doing something else is going to likely be the way to do it because it's just not. We have financial obligations that I'm not meeting as a musician. It's as simple as that. I sense that, you know, that is the the way forward. And, and it actually gives me some comfort because when I looked at this album and I read all of the liner notes and listened to the songs, I thought, Oof. you know, is this the end of Jory Nash as a singer-songwriter? I don't think so. 
it may be that, you know, it's a transition and we need to lean into it, which yeah. we all have in life. I yeah, mean, life has exactly, these, exactly. That's... these transitions. And I think that you wouldn't be doing justice to your current situation. You know, you mentioned the importance of family and your son and, you know, making sure that you give him the start in the world you want to give him mm -hmm. takes time. Yeah. So I actually, I kind of feel positive about that moving forward. If people want to learn more about Jory Nash's music, how can they do that? The, the best way is to go to my website, jorynash.com. It's J-O-R-Y-N-A-S-H.com and listen to songs. They're, all the songs are there. You can listen to them in, in their entirety. If you like what you hear, download a copy or order a CD or come to see me play or uh, call me and I'll, uh, if you host or know a ho house concert presenter. I actually do more house concerts, Jan, than just about any other kind of show. Because A, it's really good for, it, it's a good fit for what I do, which is really intimate, storytelling, um, interactive kind of thing. So, you know, put me in front of 30 people in a really intimate setting and people are going to be entertained. Um, and I'm going to have a really good time doing it with them. So that's, that's it. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on app, I'm Apple music and Google. I'm not on Spotify, uh, until, until the streaming rates for creators change and the business model that rewards the people who run the company in a far greater way than the artists that they are making their living off the backs of. You will not find my music on Spotify. I recognize that that probably hurts my career in terms of notoriety and getting music out there. I'm doing air quotes for people on the radio. But it's a stand I'm going to take because I think that the artist is getting screwed. And that doesn't sit with me. As always, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. And I, I really love, you know, the, the honesty of the, the conversation. Certainly, if you're listening at home, definitely check out Jory Nash's music. As he said... Uh, this is an album that he really wanted to make sure was a statement whether he uh, ends up taking a break after this or not or comes back full of enthusiasm because he's discovered that maybe putting out a single uh, every six months is the way to move forward. We're not sure. We're going to finish with a track from the album itself. What are we going to play? Uh, we are going to play The Astral Plane. And I chose this one because it's uh, a very textured uh, uh, recording lots and lots of, of musical parts are happening it features a really wonderful counter vocal part from Laurie Cullen uh, beautiful instrumentation and playing by all the musicians in there um, and it's a, a song about basically being a father and how how jarring it is and how I basically it felt like I was on another planet for the first you know, six months of my son's life and I took a little bit of getting used to and I think every new parent will, will understand that sentiment. That's a perfect way to finish. Jory Nash with Astro Plane from his great new album, Wilderness Years. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio at the Folk Music Ontario Conference and I'm Jan Hall. Touchdown on the astral plane with a starstruck boy and promise like a ball and chain. Tired and weary and a little forlorn, I was hoping to find myself reborn, reborn. 
something was lost and gained But nothing so easily explained You dream of colors and I dream of gold You dream of summers but my dreams leave me cold Thought I knew just what I wanted But now it seems that dreams have come a little bit haunted Something was lost and gained But nothing's always a Like a twilight zone But with every new day It seems a little more like 